Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, with Pastor John King. Come on up, there's plenty of room, kids. Man, I always love this because when I look at you guys, I look at the future. And I see that the future is bright. Amen? And so, you know, your parents are so proud of you, and we're all proud of you, and we just want to pray over you and, and encourage you, kids, as you move into your new grades this year, whether it's in the school system or whether here even at our kids' church. Um, but we're, we're so proud to see you guys growing up. And uh, just, I just pray, uh, well, let me just pray. Okay, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we just pray over these little ones, Lord, and we ask, Lord, um, just... We want to even just dedicate them to you once again, Lord God. We pray for each and every family that's represented by these children. Lord, I pray for the moms and dads that they would encourage these children to give their lives to the Lord at an early age, Lord, to surrender their lives. Some of them already have come to know you personally as Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, just help us as a church family to support their homes, their, their parents, to be encouraging to them. Lord, we, just, we know that you have great plans for them. You have great promises for them. And we pray together as a congregation that each child here, each one of these young ones, um, would just latch on to those promises, the fact that, Lord Jesus, you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you will guide our steps and guide our path through each and every twist and turn of our lives, all of the ups and downs, the difficult days, and the good days, Lord. You're always with us, Lord. And so I just pray a blessing on behalf of all the folks here at Calvary Chapel today. I have the privilege to pray a blessing over you in Jesus' name. Go forth, kids, and just, you know, you're only going to live this, you're only going to be in this world once. So you need to learn to give it your best shot at an early age. So Lord, thank you for these precious kids we love them, and Lord, we know that you love them even more. That you would even go to the cross for them. That you would lay your life down for them and on their behalf. And on all of us as well, for all of mankind. Lord Jesus, your love, your faithfulness is amazing. And so we celebrate the work that you do in the lives of each and every one of these kids standing before us today. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said... Amen. All right. Amen. All right. So who wants to give the sermon? Does one of you guys want to give the sermon? Hunter, you ready to give the sermon? Oh, you're not ready yet. Okay. That's in the future. That's in the future. Let's give him a big hand. Thank you, guys. <clears throat> yes. Yes, indeed. You know, this is a good time to be reminded of the wonderful job that Miss Heidi and all the volunteers that work in the children's ministry are doing week in and week out. In fact, we should we'll just give Miss Heidi a hand. You know, being willing to sow into the lives of these children is, uh, is a blessing, and uh, we're so thankful for that. 
and I've said it with sadness before, but there are many churches in our areas that don't have nursery, they don't have kids, they don't have youth group. And so, Lord, we, uh, we know that the Lord, He desires that each generation would continue. The church, uh, the church will continue. The gates of hell will not set, uh, tear it down. But we know that the next generation is so important, and that's why we put such an emphasis on our kids' ministry this year. Uh, I think Heidi said last week we had a great slideshow. We had 46 kids uh, at our peak during uh, VBS. VBS is a really great ministry that works really well in our area, and so we always look to support that. So, anyway, these are exciting times, and it's I'm excited to see you guys here. Uh, welcome our visitors today as well. We are going to continue in Colossians chapter three, and today, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Verses 12 through 17 in Colossians chapter 3. And so, uh, as you're turning there, let's just be reminded of where we were quickly last week. We had a practical application from Paul of who we are in Christ. It was laid out in specific detail. And we were, we were taught by Paul through his teaching, through the Holy Spirit, that for a Christ follower, for somebody who knows Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, there really should be no place for our old life of sin. And the reason is, is because of our new life in Christ. And so the Lord expects and equips each of us to participate in our spiritual growth towards personal holiness, and he, he said that very poignantly last week by putting to death the old habits and pursuits, whether they're actual or always kind of occupying our mind. We can't uh, take our mind off thoughts. Colossians 3.5, if you look at your passage in your Bible in verse 5, he says, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And he, made, he gave a list, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, the seriousness of this command is found in the language. Kill it. Make it powerless. Destroy its strength over us. In part two of last week, and you can go online at calvarychapel.org, you can re, uh, listen to all the past messages. But in part two of last week, we looked at the things we are to put off as well. Verses eight and nine, he says, but now you yourselves are to put off all of these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so, you know, if you're serious about your faith, and I believe each and every one of you is, you're going to start to ask that question before the Lord. You're going to say, Lord, how do I do that? Because you've been honest before the Lord. You know that you're not sinless. You know that the, you still uh, carry this, this uh, body of flesh around. You still struggle with the things we just talked about sometimes. So how are we to do that? The Bible is clear. Paul's teaching especially is that we're always renewing our minds with the Word of God. The Word of God cleanses our minds, cleanses our hearts. So we want to renew our minds with understanding which comes from the Bible. And it's good to ask the very simple questions about your faith. What, what does it mean that I'm now a Christian? 
Well, it means for one, of course, that you're forgiven of your sins. You're raised to a new life. You've been set apart for service. And each of us is awaiting our future glorious resurrection. But the question, the next one might come, it says, what about the sin in my life presently? Again, we are to renew our minds. One way we're to do it, and this is not a play on words. This is an actual thing that we do, that we actually participate in with the Lord. And that is that we consider ourselves dead to our old ways of sin. When that thought comes into your mind, you know, you have to remind yourself, Lord, you, you said you gave me new life. I am not no longer being controlled by the power of sin. I am dead to the old ways and the old life. And we are also, and we're going to learn more about that today, we are to keep putting on our new clothing of grace, if you will. He said, you know, keep saying, put off, put on, put off. And we're going to put on a wardrobe, this clothing of grace. But we need to be in the Word. We, you and I, need to confess our sins to the Lord and to those you love and trust. You do all this in His might and power. You're always seeking and asking the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it doesn't take long to realize you're on empty when you try to go the moral route or the religious route. So we're to put off those old grave clothes. The old man is dead. He's been buried. And we're a new cre a creation in Christ. I mean, amen, right? Amen, amen. for what he's done. Amen. So today, we're going to take a closer look at the character of a Christian. What do these garments of grace contain? What does the spiritual wardrobe look like? How can you and I put our best foot forward on this journey towards personal holiness? Tommy Heigl wrote this. He asked the question, what do police officers, firefighters, and soldiers have in common? And the answer is that they all wear uniforms that clearly reveal their professions, unless they're undercover for whatever reason. In the same way, as Christians, we are commanded to dress in proper uniforms so we can be easily identified. And so in the first verse of today's passage, we are instructed to put on, which means to clothe ourselves. So please follow along with me. We're going to start on verse 12 of chapter 3. Paul writes, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and then bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father 
through him. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that you've placed us here today. Lord, you always have a word for us. Whenever we go into your word, you speak to our hearts if we will listen. So Lord, give us spiritual ears to hear truth from you today, to bring conviction, to bring change in our lives, to bring growth in our lives, to bring joy into our hearts. Once again, thank you, Lord, for all your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So we start in the first two verses of today's passage, verses 12, three verses really, 12 through 13 or 14. We talk about putting on the new life. Putting on Christ-likeness is what it amounts to. And Paul starts out in verse 12, he says, therefore, and of course we know by now that if he says therefore, he's referring back to what he said just, just before, just prior. And he says, therefore, and then he declares, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. The elect of God, it's a new person. You're part of the body of Christ. This word elect or eclectos means chosen by God. And it's referring to Christians. Before going through our spiritual wardrobe, Paul reminds us that none of this discussion would be possible, even remotely, were it not for God's sovereign choice. Known by some as the doctrine of election. Now personally, I've learned through the years to draw comfort from the fact that salvation to eternal life in Christ was never my idea. Never once. In fact, John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. The Bible says, throughout the New Testament, it says that believers were chosen before the foundation of the world, before times eternal. Believers were chosen in Christ. We were chosen to adoption. We were chosen to good works. We were chosen to be conformed in Christ's image. We were chosen for salvation from the delusions of the Antichrist and the doom of those who are under his false guiding. And we're going to see that when we go into Thessalonians. And we were chosen by God for eternal glory. Now here in today's passage, we see that God has chosen us to be two things. Holy and beloved. The word holy, hagios in the Greek, means to be separated or set apart for God. You've been called out of the old life of sin and death, into the new life of righteousness and eternity with him. Not only that, you're beloved by him, agapeo. Now that we're beloved by God and called away from our past life that was in rebellion, a life that was in denial, a life that was rejecting God, even cursing him to his face, we are called in Romans 5.8. He reminds us in that condition that we were in. It says... But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Beloved. Beloved even before you surrendered your life to the Lord. And beloved now for all of eternity. And so today, we are to remember, be reminded, or to learn about the character of those who are chosen of God. And we're going to talk about our spiritual clothing. And so he begins with, put on, and then he lists five things. Put on, or the NIV says, clothe yourselves. And he's using the word as a metaphor. Putting on um, mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Elsewhere, this isn't the only place, but elsewhere we see in the New Testament that he uses the same metaphor type of putting on. He says we're to put on the armor of light in Romans 13, 12. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to put off or put off uh, incorruption and immortality said of the body of believer. We're to put on a new man. We're to put on the whole armor of God as we went through the armor of God with the VBS this year. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're to put on faith and love. And so here we're talking about the, what we're going to put on are the various Christian qualities. You know, who I am in Christ and what I am to do to participate in God's plan for my life. And so he begins with the first one, first of five. He says, put on tender mercies. Some of you might have a King James version and you'll see, uh, put on bowels of mercies. And this is always strange in the old English. And the reason is, is because in the ancient world, where Paul is, the word bowels was considered the deepest part or the seat of an expression, emotional in a sense, of a person when they express kindness, compassion, or benevolence. Today we would refer to it as our heart. Our heart. We say, my heart goes out to him or her. And you might even have sort of a gut feeling. And I remember that emotion. I've said this before, so some of you have to bear with me, because that's one of the things we're going to learn today, too. But uh, <laughs> do you remember the first time when you were a kid, whether it was a relative, a friend, or somebody at school? In my, in my situation, a kid was being picked on by a bunch of bullies. And all I did was see what was happening. And I felt deep down inside, in my gut, in my bowels, sorrow for this guy. I felt compassion. And so that's an emotion that God wires us with. And he says, but, but we, we grow cold and we grow hard in our hearts, don't we? I was talking to somebody this morning, you know, we're, we're beyond the, pa the place of being shocked by anything anymore sometimes. And so he says, you got to put that on. You got to put those tender mercies on. I like what Kent Hughes reminds us of. Speaking of the difference between a Christian worldview and a pagan worldview. He says, in the ancient world, apart from biblical revelation, the ancient world was merciless. And when we say he's going medieval, oh yeah, we know, you know. The maimed and the sickly and the aged were simply discarded. The mentally ill were subjected to inhumanities. But Christianity brought compassion, and it still does. He quotes William Barclay. William Barclay says, quote, It is not too much 
says William Barclay, to say that everything that has been done for the aged, the sick, the weak in body and mind, the animal, the child, the woman, has been done under the inspiration of Christianity. The gospel brings with it sympathy and tenderness of heart. And it is one of the great glories. And when you look around the world and you see who built the hospitals, who built the orphanages, who built the churches and all the lands, you know, they say, oh, you're just a bunch of colonizers from America. Well, there were certainly bad things that took place in the, in the missionary movements of, of the past and probably still do. But tell me about a belief system and a, and a religion, if you will, a faith-based system, not a godless system of communism that tries to copy those things where they brought those things into a society to turn them around, to bring water, to bring medical care, to bring schools. You won't see it in history unless you try to rewrite history. So Christianity, and, and this is one of the things, it's one of the great glories of what Christianity has done. Yes, we've made some terrible mistakes. The history of the church is, is oh man, it's something else. But above all things, it has brought just wonderful things to this world. And it comes because of compassion. Putting on tender mercies. Today we live in a divided culture. And sometimes we find ourselves being frustrated by this division. And angry as well. It can make us cold and callous to the needs of others. You know what I'm talking about. The lost, the homeless, the lonely, the wayward, the old aged. Not only those near us nearest to us, but sometimes the never-ending stream of information from around the globe, natural disasters, famine, war, and persecution. This can and does numb our spiritual senses. And so we're to put on mercy. That's why we're to put on the garment of mercy. And we have Jesus as an example. Matthew 9, 36 you recall the story, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Why? Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Next, we're to put on kindness. Kindness, this is goodness now in deeds and action. It isn't just this emotional feeling, this feeling of compassion. It's now starting to live it out. So we put on kindness Love and action, the result of compassion. And you have to ask yourself the question, have I done anything kind lately? I've got to, you know, sometimes it'll break you before the Lord. Now, what you also realize is this clothing that you're being told to put on, it certainly doesn't happen naturally in human relationships. Doesn't come naturally, does it? <laughs> come whatever they're going to tell you. Because in human relationships, once we get past the honeymoon stage, where playfulness can start to be uh, sort of spiral downward, if you will, things start to get a little more snarky, a little more harsh, a little more cynical. And then that opens the door for sinfulness. It starts to kick in. So we're being reminded to put on kindness. Do something kind for somebody. Not to make others think you're so wonderful like a virtue signal, but because of what the Lord has put on your heart. 
to be kind, not to draw attention to yourself. The next garment we're to put on is humility, <laughs> modesty, not having a high-minded self-opinion to be humble. Philippians 2.3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So we put on compassion, we put on kindness, we put on humility, and now we want to put on meekness. You're like, I don't want to be meek. Meekness, what is that? Well, it means to be gentle. It means to be mild. Now, it's not weakness. You know, you've heard it said many times, meekness is not weakness. But actually, it's power under control. One writer put it this way. He said, there is a gentleness and self-effacement in this word, meekness. But behind the gentleness is a steel-like strength. For the supreme characteristics of a meek man or woman is that he or she is under perfect control. Gentleness, meekness is strength under control. Numbers 12.3 tells us that Moses was the mo most meek man on earth. But at the same time, Moses was a man who could act decisively. He could be as hard as nails and he could rise in anger at the proper time. But listen to this. Those wearing the true garment of gentleness and meekness are immensely powerful people for they are controlled by God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus embodied meekness. After Peter tried to prevent Jesus' arrest by cutting off the ear of Malchus, you know, the, the high servant, the, the servant of the high priest, you know, Peter went crazy with the sword, right? Cut this guy's ear off. Jesus said to him in Matthew 26, 52, Put your sword in its place, for all who could take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? <laughs> he says, But how then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Yeah, Jesus had power and control. That was meekness. That was power under control. Because he could have brought 12 angels, 12, 12 legions of angels, which is uh, quite a few. And he could have wiped them all out. And you think about it in the book of Revelation, but what one angel can do, think about 12 legions of angels. So we put on compassion, we put on kindness. We put on humility, we put on meekness, and finally, we're to put on long-suffering. This is a word that gets used all the time. This is something that we exercise all the time in our relationships. Patience, forbearance, long-suffering, slowness in avenging wrongs. How are we doing with that? The result, now having put on these five layers, these five garments, is not that we get really hot, okay? Because we got five layers. Because it's spiritual, right? But this enables us to do what it says in verse 13. Look at that. It says, 
We can bear, one, bear with one another. We're to bear with one another and forgive one another. Now, to, to bear with one another is, is to hold up, to bear with, to endure. Okay, you, here's something that you guys already know. None of us can get away from this fact, okay? Each of us has a personal trait, or many personal traits, that does things that can irritate others. Right, honey? Because of our flaws and our weaknesses, there is no escaping that fact. None. There's no escaping it. I'm not referring, you know, to obvious sinfulness, things like lying, stealing, gossiping, etc. We, we have to deal with those things. We don't have to bear with those things, in other words. But what the person, what, here's the thing, I, I made some examples. What about the person who talks too long? What about the person who won't talk at all? What about the person who sometimes interrupts one another's or gets carried away on certain topics? We don't smile enough or we smile too much. The point is that we're all on somebody's complaint list, somebody else's complaint list, okay? And that is why we must bear with one another's weaknesses. Some of you may remember a time long past, I think by now, where you could actually smoke on commercial airlines. And there was a time when you could actually you know, they had like smoking sections, right? There was a time when everybody could just light up and smoke wherever they wanted. Then there was a time where they had designated smoking sections. And this is kind of a funny story. You may have heard this. This writer says this. He says, in the days before smoking sections on planes, okay, going way back now, a passenger started to light a cigar when the stewardess, now they're called flight attendants, okay? The stewardess informed him that cigar smoking was not allowed unless it was all right with the other person in the immediate area. And she asked, do you object to his smoking? She asked the woman seated next to the man. He wanted to smoke a cigar. I absolutely detest cigars, was the stony reply. The stewardess, flight attendant, then spoke to a young man near the front of the cabin, and she came back to report that he would not mind sitting next to a cigar smoker. And so as the cigar smoking man walked toward the forward into his new seat, his former seatmate, a the boisterous woman, turned to the stewardess and confided, I've been married to that man for 30 years, <laughs> and I still can't stand his awful cigars. Bearing with one another. Next, we're also to forgive one another, aren't we? Mm. We're not to hold grudges. We're, we need to be willing to forgive insults and hurt feelings. How are we doing with that? We live in an age where microaggression can cause World War III. Okay? We are so sometimes so thin-skinned, it's frightening. 
so we're to forgive one another. We're to, we're to grant forgiveness. We're to pardon one another. Now, I'm not saying make excuse for habitual sin and harm or breaking the law. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the little things that get under your skin from that person. Proverbs 19.11 says that the discretion of man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. Amen? Mm. I, didn't see, I didn't hear a lot of amens. You guys are some angry people. You're either some angry people or you got some real hurt feelings around here. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as, well, this will get you, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Huh. That'll bring us down to earth when we don't want to forgive. Jesus clothed himself with forgiveness as he lay on the cross. Luke 23, 34 says, Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And so, you also must do. No matter how much wrong a person has done against us, and this goes for the whole thing, right? I'm not, I'm not talking about the, the justice system not being played out in, in situations. But no matter how much wrong a person has done against us, it cannot match the wrong that we have done against Christ. That's right. That's right. Yet Christ has forgiven us. Therefore, we are to forgive those who have done wrong against us. No matter how great the wrong is. I agree with that. Mark 11, 25, and 26 is a reminder for us. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you of your trespasses. Anything means everything. Anything. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespass. You ever wonder why your Christian life is kind of miserable for a period of time? Well, maybe it's because you or I are harboring unforgiveness in our hearts. Now, verse 14 is so important. He says, but above all, above all these things that we've talked about, put on love. Besides all this, put on love. Why? Because it's the perfect bond of unity. You know, that's the belt of the garment of all the things we've just put on. Because it's the bond of perfection. All of these vir virtues that we've talked about are so bound together that perfection is the result. And not one of them is lacking to that perfection when you put on the bond of love. When you put on love. We're talking about moral and spiritual perfection, obviously, here. In fact, N.T. Wright said this. He says, the other virtues, the ones we talked about, pursued without love, become distorted and unbalanced. You guys know that I, I was a Beatles fan. I'm still a little bit of a Beatles fan, if you must know. And John Lennon and Paul McCartney, they were, they were partially right when they wrote that song, All You Need Is Love. And so when we put on the garment of love for others, all these virtues are pulled together. 
writer said this, and it's it's a it's an interesting thing to note about this wardrobe that we put on. He said that all these garments can be worn only in community with others, in relationships. How tempting to think that these garments would be so much easier to wear if we did not have to wear them among people. How much easier to talk about compassion than to do it. How much easier to be kind when we are away from all the mean people in our life. It would be far easier to put on humility and gentleness if it weren't for being jostled by the proud and the assertive in our life. How much easier patience is in isolation. <laughs> That'd be real hard. I got plenty of patience. I'm all by myself. But that's not the way it works, is it? Christians become better Christians in community, in their families, and among their associates. The places the Lord has you. In your dorms, in your churches, where there is sweat and breath. The truth is, he concludes, the very things we may think are keeping us from putting on these garments are the things that make possible their wearing. Clothe yourselves is a present imperative. Put them on and keep putting them on. Next, we're going to talk about how to pursue Christ-likeness. You know, we've kind of laid it out. We've described these virtues. And if you've been applying the things we just talked about, and if you've been struggling in a spiritual battle or conflict with others, you might be weary and tired. Here in these passages, we see commands that are pleasurable. You know, a Christian life isn't a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's only part of it. But we get to enjoy the peace of God. We get to enjoy the Word of Christ, the Bible. We get to enjoy singing. We get to enjoy giving thanks to the Father through Jesus. And so here we have it. Verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace. Now, to say let and let, now it's a command. It's a gentle command. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Jesus said in 1427, this peace of God or peace of Christ, if you have a new international version or other version of the Bible, John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. This is very helpful. That word rule means let God's peace, let the peace of Jesus Christ act as the umpire. Let his word, his rule act as the umpire. This is where you can say, Lord, I'm surrendering this to you. Whatever it is, Lord, I turn it over to you. You're the arbitrator. You will be the umpire. You will help me through this situation. And so we have these things. Now, we can break, let's break this down a little farther. 
So first of all, this is a heart. You and I, that now we want to apply a real good application here. We are, want to have our heart ruled by God's peace. First thing you need to know if you're taking notes that it's a conscious choice. When we let this, the Lord Jesus be our spiritual umpire after someone comes against us, especially. This is when you're going to be tested. You know. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on who? You. Live peaceably with all men. So it's a conscious choice to let the heart be ruled by God's peace. Secondly, we let peace rule because we're called to one body. He says, to which you are also called in one body. We're talking about our unity as Christians. We're all being exhorted here to be mindful of any tendency we have towards being overly critical, judgmental, grumbling, complaining, divisive, spreading rumors. If you really want to poison our fellowship or wherever you attend or poison your relationship with your family, you will become overly critical, judgmental, grumbling, complaining, divisive, and spread rumors. So we let the peace of God rule because we're called to be one body. And third, we are to respond to God's command with thankfulness. Again, man, what an amazing thing just to thank the Lord. You know, whatever you're, wherever you're at, praise God. Thank you, Lord. We can say for this beautiful sunshine, for the water, it's raining, it's been raining for a week, and I know that the, the plants needed the water. Whatever it is, you can thank the Lord. Be thankful continually. And the question is, is do you and I take the time to thank the Lord for the peace that we have? And can you just thank Him for the peace that you have? Do you thank Him for the fellowship we have here with one another? Thank the Lord that we have a place, that we still live in a society that allows us to freely come and meet in Jesus' name and to encourage one another. Amen. And in verse 16, he goes on. Now he says something here again. A heart controlled, we talked about a heart that is ruled by God's peace. Now we're looking at a heart controlled by the indwelling word of Christ. Look at 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Taking in God's word. Being controlled in all wisdom. I love that word wisdom because if anybody here's name is Sophia, that's how it is. Wisdom means, uh, the word in Greek is Sophia. If you're a Sophia, you have wisdom, at least in your name. If you're a Sophia, you have something to live up to. If somebody knows what your name means in Greek. Most people don't because we're English. We speak English, right? Never mind. Anyway, in all wisdom. That means skill and discretion in imparting, and as a Christian, truth and spiritual wisdom. God's truth, God's spiritual wisdom. Again, we must let the word dwell. We have to let the word, that's a soft command, let the word dwell in our hearts. Why? Because it doesn't come naturally. You can have all the Bibles you have. You can have it on your phone. Multiple Bibles in your house if it doesn't come naturally. And you know that we hold the Bible and the teaching of God's Word in very high esteem here at Calvary Chapel. 
But unless you participate in opening your heart and letting his word make a home in your heart, it's going to be of little value to you. So the question is, is does God's word dwell richly or does it dwell meagerly in your heart? Is this the first time you open your Bible since last Sunday? Don't raise your hands. Psalm 119.11. We read from this morning, Psalm 119. The psalmist says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so finally we come to the consequences. We put on this, these garments, these virtues, held together by peace, the love of God, and, and held together by that. We've learned how to respond to others. We've learned to bear with others. And so the consequence is that when our heart is ruled by God's peace, and we have a heart that is ruled or controlled by the indwelling Word of God, then you get things like teaching, admonishing, and singing. That's what you have among one another. That's why we encourage you to get the little booklets so that you can study and you can read ahead the passages we have every week so that what you put on your mind and you bring to the conversation is God's Word. And so we're teaching and admonishing one another, he says, teaching and admonishing. He said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing. Teaching means to impart truth. Not just me standing up here, but you guys together, doing this together in your families. In the children's ministry. Admonishing. Yes, caution, caution one another. Sometimes we have to rebuke one another in love. In love. Don't let it go by. But you have to build that relationship. I love to see what's happening. You know, we're starting to get to know one another better. And so we're seeing some of the traits we talked about earlier, you know, a little bit of sloppiness in how we talk sometimes and how we hurt one another's feelings on occasion. But we need to be to where we know that we love one another despite all that, despite our differences, and that we could, if need be, speak out against something if you see a brother or sister going in a direction that's leading them to disaster. And then singing. First of all, in psalms, I like the word psalms because what it actually means is striking the chords of a musical instrument. And I like to do that too. Striking the chords of a musical instrument. And then hymns, of course, a, a sacred song. Sometimes hymns were sung in the Bible a cappella, Matthew 26, 30. It says when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And then we have spiritual songs. This is a song in praise of God or in Christ. Now, for those that pick out the songs here, which is either me or Pastor John a lot of times, uh, we have to be careful how we pick out the songs. And sometimes we, we are sloppy in that area. And sometimes we pick out songs that don't necessarily praise God or Christ the way they should. And so we have to be mindful of that because a lot of praise and worship songs out there are anything but praise of God or Christ. And so you could be praying for that. Pray, you know, pray, pray about the things that take place behind the scenes. Pray for those who clean the building. Pray for those who prepare to teach the children. Pray for those who come and practice songs and try to get the song right and sing it right and everything else. Play it right. Those who load the slides. Those who cut the grass. 
Pray for that. And so what happens is we learn these things, we put these things on, and now we're singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is always used about the praise of God. Ephesians 5.19, we just went through the book of Ephesians a couple months ago, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That is such a wonderful time when we get to do that together and everyone's singing to the Lord. One last word about music ministry. Those of you who have studied church history, you may have noted that like we see here in this passage, there is music in the hearts of Christians after the word of God has been recovered or made central to the life of the church. It's a historical fact. The great hymns of the Protestant Reformation, because the word was brought. The Wesleyan Revival, and our own Jesus Revolution of the 60s and 70s. The word of God was made central. And so when the word of God dwells richly within you, you want to sing about it. Amen. And you do it with thanks and gratitude in your hearts. And then finally, whatever you do, Whatever you do in word or deed, we've talked about a lot of things, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You and I need to, be, need to be consumed with the fame and the reputation of Jesus Christ, who we represent. It's not enough to know the word. We must live it. So whatever you do in word, that means everything that I might say in times of stress or frustration. And I need to be reminded, we need to be reminded that what I'm about to say we need to do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially when things are pressing in on us. This includes everything. And so we need to make it count. You know, make our words count. Not for evil, but for good. And then finally, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen? So as we close, what are we to know? That we are, by His choosing, set apart and beloved by God. Because of this, we are to participate in His plan to grow us and shape us into better Christians. To that end, which continues in this life until He calls us home with Him. We have learned of the spiritual virtues provided by Him to replace the sinful vices from our past life. What are we to do? We're to put on we're to clothe ourselves with the things we discussed. All of them are held together by agape love. Mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. And this, it has to go together. It's part of your wardrobe. It all goes together that way. Don't worry about it, because in love it all matches perfectly, those of you who are worried about how you're wearing. And of course, we're to let we're to make, let a conscious decision to let our hearts be ruled by God's peace. We've placed a handout. Most of you may have received one. We don't do this often. A handout for each of us to take home. You can put it in your Bible. You can take home. Go through it in your time with the Lord. It's an aid, and see it that way, as being able to move forward in our call to personal holiness. I pray that it's a help to each and every one of you. 
and to me as well. We'll have the worship team come up as we close our time today. In prayer, Father, we thank you once again for all that you're doing in our lives. Lord, we, we know that nothing is possible without your goodness and your grace. All the things we've talked about, the application, the information, Lord, may it be brought to bear in our lives in a way that you desire. May we be filled with your Holy Spirit. May we go and grow in the love and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we close with a joyful song to sing unto you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand, if you would like. above all names.
you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you and give you peace. God bless. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless. God bless.